You know, I don't think <clears throat> that anybody would disagree with me if I were to say that this has not been a good year so far. I know it's been a bad year for some people more than it has for others, but still, I don't think it's been a good year for anybody. I mean, when you stop and think about it, we started, we hadn't uh, but much more got into the year when we have a, a tornado, and not just a tornado, it's an F4. I mean, we don't get those around here that much. Tornadoes, yes. Uh, tornadoes that powerful, no. We have all kinds of, of damage, houses destroyed, uh, life lost, and we don't even really get started in the cleanup. And then all of a sudden, COVID-19 pandemic. And everybody's worrying about that, you know, and you've got, you've got jobs that are lost, businesses are closed, uh, and we don't even really get a handle on that. I mean, w when is it all gonna end? You know, I've already heard people talking about, we don't know what the economic impact is going to be. It's going to last in this country for years and years uh, over all of this. We don't get a handle on that, and then we have riots in the streets. Luckily, not in this part of the country, but still, you know, it, 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 it's not a surprise to me, especially when you think about the fact that it seems like the mainstream media is doing everything they possibly can to scare us to death. You know, sometimes you wonder, how do people even leave their houses anymore? Uh, Marsha and I have uh, occasional disagreements. And when we do, I usually admit that I'm wrong, say I'm very sorry, and I'll try not ever to do it again. But sometimes I win, really, really rarely. But I've been turning off the television when the news comes on. I know about when the weather's gonna come on and the weather is the only part of it I wanna see. Not that they're gonna get anything right and not that the news is gonna be good, but still, that one does affect me a little bit. I'll watch that and then turn the rest of it off. You know, if ignorance is bliss, I try to be as happy as I possibly can be. I just don't wanna know about it anymore. But why are people worried? Why are they anxious? Why are they scared? I mean, all you have to do is think about what's been going on for the last six, seven months. And it's no wonder. Psychologists tell us that rates of depression are just going up all the time. You know, there, there's only so much bad news that people can take. And especially when you get bad news on top of bad news on top of bad news, you don't have a chance to recover from one before another one comes along. It's no wonder that people are worried. And we can't do anything about it. We can't do anything about it. Except, as Christians, <clears throat> Christians have something that they can do. Other people can't, but Christians can. And what Christians can do about this deluge of bad news, you know, uh, floods, fires, famines, doom, defeat, and despair, what Christians can do is the same thing Christians are supposed to do every single day. Trust God. Trust Him. Because what is going to happen in this world is really just of, of, of temporary concern. You know, we live in this world. We live in a material world. We have to deal with it. We have to deal with the good. We have to deal with the bad. But at the same time, in the back of our mind constantly ought to be the fact 
that this world is not our home. I love that song. I don't know, I, I haven't heard anybody lead it lately, but this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And that's one of the thoughts that ought to be in the back of our mind all the time. Because it really doesn't matter in the long run what goes on in this life because we're just passing through. You know, it's one of the things James uh, pointed out <clears throat> over in James chapter 4. He said in uh, verse 14, For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Now, to a lot of people, that is a really, really depressing thought. You know, uh, many people, and this is why I've never understood why anybody wants to be an atheist. And, and personally, and this is my own personal opinion, freely offered, and it's worth precisely what you paid for it. I don't really believe there are any atheists out there. I believe there are people who profess to be atheists. And the reason they do that is because they realize that if God exists, they need to do what he says to do, and they don't want to do what he says to do. So they say, well, I've either got to do what he says and give up the things that I like, or I've got to get rid of God. So I'll get rid of God, and that way I get to do the things that I like to do anyway. I think they profess not to believe in God. I don't believe they really do, because if you think about it, atheism is the most hopeless philosophy of life that there can possibly be. Think about it this way, and this is, this is an illustration that I used to hear a lot. I haven't heard anybody uh, use it lately, but they say, take a glass of water and stick your finger in it. Now pull your finger out. How much of a hole did you leave? Well, that's how much of a hole you're going to leave in life when you leave it. People are going to remember you for a little while. The people that, that, that loved you, your family, your friends, they're going to remember you for a while, but it's not going to be that many years down the road when nobody's going to remember. Go down to any cemetery you want to and start reading the names off the headstones. How many of those people do you know? How many of them does anybody remember? Very few, but don't get depressed about it. It's a good thing because what that tells us is this life is temporary. When all of these bad things happen, we can just kind of shove them into the background. This is temporary in nature. We need to trust God. God is in control. It's one of those things that I, I, I really don't understand exactly where the idea came from, but there are some, uh, some people, some denominational groups that believe that at the end of time, there's gonna be a great battle that's really gonna decide the, the fate of the world and, and everybody in it, a battle between good and evil, and it's gonna decide who wins. There's no scriptural support for that whatsoever. There will no, not be some great battle at the end of time that decides who's gonna win, good or evil. The battle's already been fought. The battle's already won. God won. So we don't have to worry about any of that. Satan is, is limited in this life. We don't have to worry. He has a lot of power, true, but the power that he has is the power that we give him. It's power that we allow him to have. James chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have the power individually to make the devil run away from you. If you, will, if you will use the willpower, if you'll use the self-discipline to tell him to go away, to quit tempting you. 
He can only do to you what you allow him to do. Now, again, he has a lot of power in this world because a lot of people give him the power. They say, yeah, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, but with the temptation, he'll make a way of escape. There's always a way out. You don't have to yield to Satan. Satan is not the king of this world. Jesus is. So trust him. Do what he says to do. You know, one of the things that I, I think is a, a problem sometimes, and, and, and it's aside from the fact that we tend to get bogged down in life, and that's really easy to understand, too, and it, it's not something that I can point a finger at anybody else and say, you're guilty of it, and I'm not, because I'm just as guilty as anybody else. We get bogged down in life. We get distracted. We have other things that, that demand our attention, and we start to focus on those things, and we forget to focus on God and the fact that this life is temporary. And sometimes we, we understand God's power, but we don't understand what he will do. We know he can, but is he or is he not? Uh, it, it's one of those things you think about uh, the children of Israel, uh, and it's one of those things I, I used to like to pick on them a lot, uh, because if you read through... Uh, the, uh, uh, the book of Exodus uh, and into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, and you see all of the things that, that the Israelites saw. I mean, they, they saw the plagues of Egypt. They saw Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea after they had walked across on dry land. They were fed miraculously. They saw all of these things. And you think, well, people that have seen all of these things, all of the power of God manifested to them, they'll trust God completely. They will do everything that he says to do without question. And then you get into the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13, going into uh, the first part of Numbers chapter 14. When the children of Israel come to the land of, of Canaan, they come to the border and they send the spies into the land. The spies come back. And the spies say, this is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a wonderful land. But there are walled cities. The Amalekites are there. The Anakim, the, the, the descendants of the giants are there. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight and in our sight. We can't take it. Joshua and Caleb said, we're well able to take it. Because God promised it to us. If God promised it to us, then there is nothing that can stand between us and that land. All of the other spies said, we can't do it. Even after having seen all of God's power, all of his ability, they said, we can't do it. They were, they were going to stone Joshua and Caleb and Moses to death and go back to Egypt. And God said, I'll destroy them and I'll use Moses and I'll just start a whole new nation until Moses interceded on their behalf. But they didn't trust God either. They looked at the material world and they, they forgot what God was capable of doing. And we need to remember that. Over in uh, Romans chapter 4, uh, we have Abraham held up as, as an example for us a lot of the time, and, and rightly so, uh, because he is a wonderful example of faith. But in, in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 19, it says, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead 
since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being, get this one, verse 21, being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was also able to perform. God promised it. Abraham said, if he promised it, he'll perform it. That is the best definition of faith, a little nutshell definition of faith that I have ever seen, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. God has made us some promises, and we need to remember the promises. We need to remember that if we live a life of faithful service, then he's promised us heaven when we die. You know, that, that is an ironclad guarantee. There is no way that can be annulled. We just have to do our part. You know, a, a lot of times I like to think about these things as a contract. A contract between two parties, a contract between us and God. And God says, if you will fulfill your part of the contract, I will fulfill mine. And his is guaranteed absolutely there is no possibility that it won't be fulfilled all we have to do is keep our part of the bargain become a christian live a life of faithful service now not sinless perfection and that's another one of the issues that that christians sometimes have we we've kind of gotten it into our heads that uh if we're not perfect then we can't go to heaven and that's just absolutely not true uh, one of the things I encourage people to do from time to time is I said, take, take uh, 1 John chapter 1 and put it up right next to your bathroom mirror or put it up on your refrigerator or someplace where you're going to see it every day and read it every day. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, John did not accept himself from that. He said, if we... Uh, living a life of faithful service is not sinless perfection. It's trying to be sinless and having the attitude that when I do sin, I'm going to recognize it, I'm going to confess it, and I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from that sin and try not to do it again. I may do it again tomorrow, but as long as I've got that attitude that I want to do what God wants me to do, regardless of how many times I may fail at it, then it's going to work out right. The blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all sin because we're walking in the light. We're trying to live as his disciple. Now, one of the things that I mentioned is the fact that we, we know what God can do, but sometimes we don't know what he will do. And this is a problem for people sometimes because sometimes things don't go the way I want them to go. And I don't understand why. We talked about that a little bit this morning during our Bible study uh, time, but I think it bears repeating that I'm not all that smart. I don't know how things should be. I may think I know how things should be, but I don't. God does. I like to think about it this way, and I've used this illustration a lot. You've probably heard it before, but I think it makes point really well. It's like children coming to breakfast and there's chocolate cake on the table. Perfect breakfast. Chocolate cake. What could be better for breakfast than chocolate cake? 
Well, that's what they think is a good breakfast. Their parents say, no, you know, that's not it. If, you know, later today, you know, when you've eaten good, healthy food, then we can have chocolate cake, but not until. And sometimes kids don't understand that. Well, why can't I have chocolate cake now? I don't see what the problem is. Well, that's the way we are with God. Sometimes God tells us things and we say, I don't understand this. I don't get it. I don't know why I can't have what I want now. Because God knows better. God knows we don't. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, Wayne read for us just a little while ago. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know, yes, you may think that something's good, but maybe it's not. Or sometimes we think something's bad and it's not. Uh, it, it's one of those things we, we can't tell a lot of the time. It's uh, one of the, I, I've tried to argue this point with people sometimes. They talk about miracles still occurring today. I say, no, miracles don't occur today. And they say, well, you don't think that God acts in the world today? And I say, of course I do. Well, then you believe in miracles. No, I don't. It's a difference in how he acts. Miracles are something that are obviously of supernatural origin. It's not just a case of, well, I don't really understand how that happened. So if I don't understand how it happened, it must be a miracle. No. A miracle is something that is obviously of supernatural origin, like the sun standing still or turning backwards. Something along those lines. What God does when he acts in the world today is he acts through his providence. He's acting through the normal course of events to bring his will about. And I can't say if he's doing that or not. Sometimes the bad things that happen to us can bring about good results. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Not necessarily that all things are good. Think about Joseph, one of my favorite characters uh, of the Old Testament. You go back to around Genesis chapter 37 and read forward several chapters uh, and you see a lot of things that happened to Joseph. Now, partly it was Joseph's fault, partly it was Jacob's fault for showing favoritism to one of his children, and Joseph was a, a little less uh, uh, able to hold back on some of the things that he should have. Uh, he talked to his brothers about his dreams, and his brothers rightly interpreted the dreams and said, oh, does this mean that we're going to be bowing down to you someday? You're the youngest. And they didn't like that very much. As a matter of fact, they hated their brother. They hated him to the point they couldn't speak peaceably to him anymore, and they decided they were going to kill him. But they didn't. They sold him into slavery to a passing caravan. He ends up a slave in Potiphar's house. God blesses him and Potiphar for Joseph's sake until Potiphar's wife decides that she wants Joseph, and when he doesn't agree, she falsely accuses him of attacking her. And he ends up in, in Pharaoh's prison. There, he interprets dreams for the baker and the butler or the cupbearer. And one of them, the baker, is going to lose his head. The butler, the cupbearer, is going to resume his position. And he tells him, he says, when you, when you go back and you're standing by Pharaoh's side, remember me. And he didn't. He forgot. So Joseph is left again. But Pharaoh has a dream, and then 
the butler remembers, there's a man I know that can interpret dreams. And Joseph interprets his dream and eventually ends up to be the second most powerful man in Egypt. And when you get to Genesis chapter 45, you see that his brothers are there before him. There's a, there's a, a famine. They've come to Egypt to buy grain because that's the only place they can get it. And Joseph has the men that wanted to kill him and sold him into slavery right in the palm of his hand. He could do anything to them that he wanted to do. These people were responsible for a lot of misery in my life. And what does he say? Don't blame yourselves. God sent me before you to preserve life. He realized that it wasn't his brothers. It was God that did all of this. All of the bad things that happened to Joseph happened for a reason, so that Joseph was where he was, in the position that he was, at the time he was. God was working through him, even when things looked bad. Sometimes we know what God can do. We don't know what he will do. In Daniel chapter 3, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They all come. And what he says is that when you hear music, everybody is supposed to bow down and worship this statue that I've set up. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Jewish captives who'd been brought to Babylon, didn't do it. And the, uh, the Chaldeans, the wise men of Babylon, being jealous because they didn't like these, these Jewish people coming in, really, and, and, and taking over as head of the wise men, they informed on them. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, these, these Jewish guys are not doing what they're supposed to do. And Nebuchadnezzar was really, really angry about this. Verse 13, there in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? You better do what I told you to do, because there is nobody that can save you from me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we really shouldn't have to answer you. The answer ought to be obvious to you. It's not a question that you should even have to ask. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We don't know what God will do. We know what he can do. He can save us from you, but we don't know what he will do. We don't know if he will or not. 
and it doesn't matter. We're going to do what's right anyway. God can do it, but whether it's his, his will to do it or not, we don't know, and it doesn't matter. We do what's right, and of course, everybody that's ever gone through a, a, a child's uh, Bible class knows how the rest of the story goes. The king was outraged. He had him thrown into the furnace, and they came out without even the smell of smoke on them. God can do it if he chooses to. We just don't know what his will in the matter is going to be. But we don't have to understand in order to trust. Why does God do what he does? I don't know. You know, how does God do the things that he does? I don't know that either. Do I know that what God has promised he will deliver? Yes, I do. Will he do what he has promised us? Yes, he will. So in spite of the fact that things have started out this year in a really, really bad way, we can still trust God. We can still be the kind of people that say, well, God, you know, things may be bad, but I'm going to trust you anyway because I know it doesn't matter what happens in this life. We can go through this life and we can suffer through a lot of things, but God takes care of it all in the end. This life is a temporary thing. It's not something that's permanent. It's not something that, that we have to worry about, and it's certainly not something where you, know, you stick your finger in glass water and pull it out, and that's all that's left. You know, we get to go to heaven and live for eternity. Over in Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning in verse 7, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. You know, that's one of those things that, that can make you a lot happier than you really, in the, at least in the eyes of a lot of people, have a right to be. One of the things that, that is, is handy oftentimes when things don't look that good is to remember that they're temporary. You know, you, you guys that have been in the military, you probably remember people having a short timer's calendar. You know, when it got close to the time when you were going to uh, get out, you got a calendar and you just started checking off the days. I've only got 30 days until I get out. I've got 29 days until I get out. And you just mark off the days and you think, I can put up with anything they do to me because I've only got 30 days left. Or if you're getting close to retirement and maybe your job's not as fulfilling as you'd like it to be and you start thinking, you know, 30 days and I get to retire. You know, 25 days and I get to retire, you start marking off the days. You can put up with an awful lot of things if you know that they can't last, that they're only going to last a little while, and then they're going to be done. Life is temporary. We're not getting out of it alive anyway, unless we're one of those that Paul talked about over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord. We're not getting out of it alive. And this world is not our home. We have a promise from God that if we will live faithfully in this life, if we will become a Christian and live faithfully, not sinlessly perfect, but faithfully, 
that he has a home waiting for us in heaven. And what God has promised, God will deliver. Put your trust in God. You can't go wrong that way. Just trust in God. It may be that there's someone here this afternoon that needs to respond to the Lord's invitation. If you're here and you're not a Christian, if you want to be able to have that trust in God, you can. You could come forward this afternoon confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. Or perhaps you're an erring child of God. You've, you, you've begun to lose your trust in God, and you want to come back. Well, that opportunity is yours as well. You can go to God in prayer and confess your sin to him from a repentant heart and ask him to forgive you, and he's promised to do that. Or perhaps there's someone here who needs to come forward and ask for the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing.